Hi there, welcome to our podcasts from the Grow 2019 BOMA New Zealand Agri-Summit. Fantastic conference that's been going on uh, in Christchurch uh, with amazing speakers talking a lot about uh, the future of food, uh, of agri-tech, fantastic Uh, ideas and technologies that are coming along to help farmers, to help food processors in linking uh, farmers and consumers and right along the value chain. So welcome Tim. Um, Tim Cannon, you're from uh, Livestock Labs and Embedivet. Tell me, I'm really intrigued about this title of a uh, biohacker. <laughs> yeah, what, yeah. What is that? Well, biohacker is kind of like any other sort of hacker where um, the objective is to, you know, any hacker is basically coming to understand a system and then utilizing it in a way other than anticipated, right? So, for example, in biohacking, right, I have a, um, uh, we, we know that we have these um, rich clusters of nerves at our fingertips. We also know that um, uh, magnets will interact with electromagnetic fields. So if I then take a magnet and put it underneath my finger, now I can feel electromagnetic fields, right? And so I can feel live wires behind walls. I can feel hard drives working. I can feel these things intuitively. And we'll, and that, that my brain immediately picks it up, immediately understands it. And so um, as a result, uh, that's basically biohacking in a nutshell. You, come, you basically give yourself these little superpowers by using your biology in a way other than anticipated. Wow, that's fantastic. So how do you then use some of this technology, I guess, uh, when in the products that you're talking about and the products that you're developing? Mm-hmm. Well, so like when we, um, uh, so a couple of years ago, I did this implant um, where it took my temperature once every five seconds and kicked it out over Bluetooth. I had implanted it in my arm. And um, when I would get cold, I, would ha- I built a thermostat at my house to listen to it. So my house would automatically heat up when I got cold and when I when I got hot, it would automatically cool down and this sort of thing. And so, based off what your temp- body temperature, my was body doing. temperature was. So my wow. my house in effect became part of my body's temperature regulation system. Oh my god! Um, and so. Uh, this is the kind of thing that kind of had us thinking, you know, well, where else can this be applied? Because to do this in the human sector would be something like $50 million and 15 years of testing. And I just frankly don't have that kind of attention span. You know what I mean? I'd need to be on to the next project within a couple of years, right? So um, we kind of pivoted and said, well, you know, I mean, it looks like we can use work, work with um, cattle or, or farm animals and we could actually assist the farmer. Um, because we do want to be the kind of um, uh, organization that does good. That's what we're a- attempting to do. We're trying to help people, right? Um, and so at the end of the day, we said, okay, well, um, you know, we could, we could maybe make the farmer's life a little easier. And then we could also definitively prove things like animal welfare so we can make the animal's life easier. Uh, incidentally, my, um, my chief operations officer is a vegetarian, right? And she, but she posits that she can improve the lives of millions of, of livestock by attempting to prove animal welfare and to make sure the cruelty is not being visited on these animals. And so at the end of the day, um, we took this technology, this biosensing technology, and put it into the livestock sector, which was a natural marriage, and it turned out that that was something that is actually kind of in the wind already. And so it's, it's been kind of just beneficial for everybody, I think. Okay. Can you give us a little bit of background about you, I guess, mm-hmm. and where you come from and the, and the type of... Uh your journey, I guess, to, to get to where you are now. 
Well, um, I've always been a fan of science fiction. You know, when I was a kid, I read a lot of a lot of science fiction, and um, particularly a genre called uh, cyberpunk, which was about basically sort of um, the a lot of the themes are about the merging of man and machine, but also kind of these themes about how. Um, the technology comes, but it doesn't address the human problems, right? It's a, they say uh, high tech, low life, right? You know, these kind of this, there's still this stratification of the poor and stuff like that. And so uh, that kind of get, get, got in me. And then when I, when I started to gain some technical skills, um, I saw that this technology was eventually going to come. And so we, we really started, like, I started to think, well, maybe somebody should start working on it that's interested in keeping it low cost so that it doesn't stratify society even further. What and kind so, of technical skills did you, you oh, know, go? What, programming what you mostly, and then yeah. um, via programming, I, I found electrical engineering, and then materials science, and then biology. And so it's a very specific set of skills to be a biohacker, right? You have to have this kind of very broad, um, what they call it, they call it a T-shaped skill set, right? So you have, you have a couple that are really deep, and then a bunch that are really shallow, right? And, uh, and that sort of thing. And so I, I in the biohackers tend to be project-based learners rather than like, fitting in with universities and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, you you have an idea in mind that you want to accomplish and then you learn what you must to accomplish it, right? Which is kind of a different way of thinking. Uh, So that was basically how I got most of my skills, right? It was just um, YouTube University and uh, that sort of thing. Um, Fantastic. Fantastic. Okay, so this specific tool that you were talking about this morning uh, at at the conference here, It, very interesting. So it, it's embedded into the animal mm-hmm. and has numerous senses. Mm-hmm. Ta- talk me through what it can sense and how it does that. Okay, so, well, it has um, an accelerometer, um, which basically just measures movement and activity, right? Uh, it's the same thing your Fitbit has. It's got a heart rate monitor, um, a blood oxygen saturation, um, so like how much oxygen is in your blood and then um, a a high precision temperature sensor. And so between those four things, you can actually extrapolate a large number of other things from that, right? So from activity, for example, as any farmer knows, right, the activity of, um, of cattle ramps up when they're in, in, on heat, right? So once they, once that happens, you'll actually see this huge spike in activity uh, over the regular activity per day. Or if you see a temperature spike, you know that that's the onset of some sort of contagious disease typically and that you need to treat that animal immediately. Um, But the thing is, a farmer doesn't have time to run around and check the temperature of every animal and they don't become symptomatic until productivity starts to fall. And so you don't want productivity to fall. So at this point, you can treat them early with less antibiotic, with less problems and actually um, not lose any productivity on the animal. And so this was kind of like, uh, you know, and, and there's a number of other things you can extrapolate. Since it's placed in the neck, we can get the head position. Head position is indicative of all kinds of different ailments with cattle, and they'll, they'll hold their head in a certain way if they're feeling a certain way. Um, and they'll also hold their head in a certain way if they're ruminating. So if we, if we detect chewing motions from the jaw, which we can detect through this activity sensor, this accelerometer, and we know that the head position is up, well, we know they're ruminating. And if the head position is down and we get chewing motions, we know they're grazing. So now you start to be able to get things like feed efficiency because you can correlate it with weight. Right, so. Wow. Okay. So that's um, interesting in that you can actually collect all these bits of data. Mm-hmm. What then is at the other end of that mm-hmm. to turn that data into something meaningful for the farmer? Yeah. So we, we, have, um, we have a system which um, we call Deep Moo. 
um, <laughs> and it is a um, uh, machine learning um, and uh, deep deep learning engine um, that basically recognizes these patterns and then turns them into actionable things that go to the farmer's phone or computer and or, or dashboard depending on what you want. So if you have a customer dashboard, you might get up and look at that every day and say, okay, you got five cows that are in the yellow. Maybe they're not a problem, but they're looking a little weird. You know, you might want to keep an eye on them. You got two that are in the red. You need to get them quarantined immediately because they're going to give all you guys bovine respiratory disease or whatever. Um, and, uh, and it looks like Bessie's on heat. Go join her with a bull. Or you may have a situation where the farmer is uh, sleeping in the middle of the night and gets a text message that says, hey, you know, um, Gerald is, or, you know, whatever the name of the cow is, um, or well, more likely a number, is uh, been trying to give birth for th more than 30 minutes. Right. So looks like the calf's stuck. You better go out there and help her out or else you're going to have two dead assets on your hands. Right. Um, so uh, it just depends on what the actual action item is. But at the end of the day, yeah, we just crunch it through some machine learning and um, use it to kind of then go from there. So what kind of, um, I'm interested in what kind of science, I guess, is is doing that interpretation. Mm -hmm. Have you joined with like uh, university studies? Have you put, uh, you know, I'm thinking peer review papers on we know this affects this how how have you got this deep moo to mm -hmm. understand all of these things so um, we have a board of advisors obviously and then on that board of advisors is um, one of the one of the best uh, large animal veterinarians in uh, from the United States his name is Dr. Kerry Rood um, brilliant uh, brilliant scientist and a brilliant veterinarian um, as well as um, we have uh, on our team we have what we call a cow whisperer and uh, and uh, she's um, got a degree in rural sciences from University of New England um, she's a sixth generation cattle farmer and uh, this sort of thing so between those two and then the other kind of people on farm that we talk to um, and then we're also working with universities so we work with the University of New England um, Dr. Jamie Barwick uh, had some theories on how to use sensors to extrapolate these kind of these kind of things and we're actually helping him see his his thesis through um, by actually providing him with the technology for that so we're doing a university trial uh, with them and Charles Sturt University is also doing a university trial with us to kind of validate these things and to make sure that they're they're accurate and from there deep move then begins to look at the patterns that we've identified um, and and take those and say okay these are this is what bovine respiratory disease onset looks like Right. This is what uh, estrus looks like. This is what, and that's basically what, a lot of machine learning um, is is about. That it's about finding the patterns and then just kind of encapsulating. This is what that looks like. These are the features of this disease, and then finding that pattern once it occurs in the data. Are there other senses then, or you know, what do you see that could be added to that list of senses that you have that will kind of you know, what are we looking to in the future? Is there anything in your mind as to what else you could add in? Well, I think that there's, um, I mean, on on the horizon, and, and we had worked with somebody, we didn't, unfortunately, we it was too much of a distraction from our minimum viable product, and we were really trying to get that to, to the door. But there was actually a discussion with um, a uh, uh, academic institution for, I can't really go into too much of the details, but basically it would be something that would be proactive, right? So not only do you detect a, a problem, but you immediately provide the solution to that problem wow. as well. So if you can think of drug pumps or something like this. So if, right. you, if you're detecting inflammation or something like that, you immediately give a small amount of low-dose aspirin uh, and only a tiny amount is required because the cortisol will create a cascading effect 
Um, but if you mitigate it right away, there's no cascade. There's no just runaway of, of, of inflammation. And so at that point, you're talking about being able to increase longevity and, and um, wellness in, in unfathomable ways. Yes, unfathomable ways mm-hmm. it, like it, it, it just even what is possible kind of we, we don't even know what we don't know yet but there's right. so many interesting things that right. you can because find. they say inflammation for example in humans they say inflammation is one of the biggest killers right and if we were if we were able to just mitigate inflammation in general we'd have no idea how long the human body would be designed to last you know what i mean could be could be 200 300 years wow so tell me about uh where you have this product already what stage is it at is it commercialized? I, and I understand you're doing some work in Australia. So tell me a bit more about that. Yeah, so, um, well, the um, MLA donor company um, had provided us some funding. So that was that was part of the reason. That MLA? We're, uh, this Meat and Livestock Australia. Okay. Right. right? Um, and uh, so they had provided us with some uh, fund, matched funding. Um, so that we were uh, able to kind of like maneuver. And that's one of the reasons we came to, to Australia um, to, to do our work. And uh, they also had a, a really good agritech uh, accelerator there that we got into. So, um, in in doing these things, we kind of went forward and um, uh, you know got uh, got things onto farms in. But we're the, I'm sorry. The phase that we're at is um, uh, early commercialization. I would say, right. Right. So we have universities validating. Right. So because that's one of the things that was very important to us was to say independent validation is needed. Right. We can't just put this out in the market with all these ridiculous claims. Um, and once we have that, um, we start our commercial piles. We have some internal farms that we're friendly with that it's already on. As you saw in my talk, I did a little live stream of the streaming data coming from actual cows, um, on one of our farms. Uh, but, uh, we have university of new England trial is starting uh, Monday. And then we have next month is Charles Sturt and that's actually using horses. There's about 20 horses. Got two other commercial farms that are, that are kind of close to us that we're doing pilots at. And then from there, about six months from down the road, you know, probably around between, you know, late June and early September, we'd like to be in full commercialization um, and starting with our um, bigger clients, which two of the largest beef producers in Australia have uh, signed on to do commercial pilots with us. So, um, we're pretty enthused about that. Um, and then from that point, we just kind of release it to the public and say, um, you know, kind of ramp up the sales machine and say, you know, hey, let's let's make some cyborg cows and let's make, make farmers uh, have to work less and uh, make more money. How big are these things? Because they're inserted into the animal. Mm-hmm. Well, the animal, cows are big yeah. and they don't really seem to mind. Um, we had one that was much larger. Um, our initial prototype was, I want to say, I don't know, I mean, I'm American, unfortunately, so you got the my metric system conversions not very great. What is this? How many centimeters is that? It's about uh, ten. Okay, so yeah, about ten, ten long and maybe about uh, three wide, right. right? And something like this, and about um, maybe a stack of um, stack of twenty cent pieces, three high, right? Something right. like that. You know, right, right, right. And um, and that went into the jaw actually of of the of the cattle, uh, which was our first test site. And within two or three hours, the cow barely even noticed. Right. Um, so sitting alongside the jaw, yeah, along right, the mandible, not yeah. in the jaw. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And, and the others, these product, these ones that you're working on now go in the neck yes. and are a similar size? Yeah, no, these ones actually are very, very much smaller than that. You're talking about that. Right. Um, so maybe like, you know. Five what, centimeters. Yeah, maybe. at most, yeah. right, yeah. yeah. I mean, think of, think of uh, maybe, you know, two 10-cent pieces uh, stacked three high. You Look know, like a matchbox kind of thing? Yeah, maybe about, yeah. yeah like, maybe you're talking about almost like a stick of gum smaller. and then with like tapered at one end so right. that they could kind of drive down right. in. Right, right. Um, yeah, so. 
and can be inserted. You talked about that a little bit too. By yeah, we call it an applicator. Um, uh, basically, this is uh, similar to a cannula, um, which most farmers will be familiar with, um, and it's not something that can be done through animal husbandry rather than needing a veterinarian, right? Um, because that's going to be just a giant roadblock for progress um, in terms of if you need to call a veterinarian every time you want to put one of these in. Mm -hmm. So um, we decided to make something that would make this easy. I mean, you have piercing guns, right? And you can go to anywhere and get like an infant's ears pierced and, you know, yeah. that's what we wanted to build for this. So yeah, that All our pets are microchipped, you know. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. and yeah, and those, those are really easy to use. I've yeah. used those actual things on myself to put a microchip in my hand. So... <laughs> Tell me about uh, the cost of this thing. What are you What are you looking at here? So we are definitely trying to keep it as cost effective as possible. Um, and so what we're looking at is a price point between five and ten dollars a head, um, and that would include like the infrastructure to go with it because there's pylons to collect data that need to go about the farm in various places. Right. So it would send. So it's sending information from the animal, at real time. Mm -hmm. It to using what kind of system, just like a radio frequency or Wi-Fi? What? So it depends on what's being sent. So the data sets that we crunch in a heavy way to determine if, like, say the animal's in heat or if it's, um, uh, you know, or if we're using them to train, train the networks and things, those are um, communicated by Bluetooth 5.0. can go about 50, 50 meters on a real good day. But we keep these things um, at strategic places around the farm, you know, mineral licks and watering sites, things that the cows will be going back to regularly. And it'll synchronize up to once a day to take its data and synchronize. However, we also have an um, ultra-narrowband radio on it, so that can go up to about 15 kilometers. And uh, that's very important because that's for the real-time alerts. This is um, detecting distress in the animal. There is something wrong. It's, you know, it's scared. It's, it's hurt. It's whatever. Something that we want to alert the farmer to immediately goes over that channel. A lot more power expensive, but you only use it when you need it. Okay. And so that cost that you're talking about, what about all the software or analysis or programs that can come at the other end of that? Mm -hmm. So um, there'll be a, uh, obviously there'll be like a kind of a simple offering, right? Um, that would be free. And this would be kind of like alerts for distress and things of this nature. And then um, from there, there's also, a, you know, going to be a, a premium offering, right? To where it's much more in-depth charts and much more in-depth insights um, that might require more resources on our end to ascertain. So, um, but but we would never we would never hold what we decided was we don't we can't hold the animals hostage. So if it's something that can be detrimental, you get that as part of the system, right? If it's something that can be of detriment to you or right. your farm, that you get free. It's the um, additional like efficiency insights and those sorts of things that that if you if you want those, then then we we'd probably bill you for those. However, we did we did uh, focus our price point on like between five and ten dollars a head because we wanted to kind of keep it as, as inexpensive as possible, mm -hmm. and that kind of gets passed down depending on how your system works. So, for example, if pastoral farmer pays five dollars a head, um, he should be able to theoretically charge more when he sends that off to the feedlots, um, and then the feedlot people would would have to pay for their insights right to us, and then. Um, you know, then the abattoirs, they, they get their paperwork automated away. Mm. So is that worth more? I don't know. I mean, most abattoirs seem to say, I hate paperwork. So Yeah, yeah. So you can, um, you can recover the devices as well. Mm -hmm. So, and reuse them. So yeah. that's helped keep 
the cost down, I understand. Yes, absolutely. Um, in, 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 in doing that, we wanted to make sure that it was economically feasible on both sides, right? Both for the farmer to be able to pay for it, but for, for us to be able to actually um, make a profit off of the hardware. And so in order to do that, we had to make them reusable so that we could um, spread the d- cost of production over the, over the life of many cows. Yeah. Right. Okay. Fantastic. Are you interested in talking to companies within New Zealand about this kind of technology and how it could be applied, you know, within Absolutely. the dairy Absolutely. Beef? Yeah. Now, dairy is going to be a little harder for us right now um, simply because the lifespan of the device is three years and your dairy cows live a lot longer than that. Mm. Now, you could always rechip them and this sort of thing, and I don't see any reason why, why not to, but... Um, uh, you know, and, and we could probably work something out where there's like a contract of like once your device dies, we just get you the next one or whatever, and so on mm. and so forth. But um, we feel like the most advantage right now is in is in the beef and, and the meat, the red meat Fattening sector. kind of right, industry. absolutely, because then you have this like short lifespan and, and this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would love to talk to New Zealand companies, um, uh, partially because of our, our connections with MLA. Uh, allow us to operate here without any incurring any sort of um, problems, right? Uh, as opposed to where if we go outside of the red meat industry, either in New Zealand or in Australia, there's kind of issues there because we got money from Meat and Livestock Australia, and they want to focus on this right. region. However, uh, the other reason I would love to just work with New Zealand uh, companies is so that I can come here more often because, oh my goodness, is it beautiful and the people are lovely. I love it here. I've been here two days. I don't want to leave. Oh, that's great. We're yes. glad you've had a good time. Oh, it's been so great. Great. Hey, look, thanks so much for talking to me today. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been a great conference, some amazing technologies, and yours is uh, you're definitely one out of the bag. <laughs> thank well, thank you. you. Cheers. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.